morning again. We will be in the book of Romans chapter 8 today. So if you have a Bible, please please turn to Romans 8. If you do not have a Bible, we have some Bibles underneath the benches uh, in front of you. And we'll be on page 944 around thereabouts if you're using that Bible. This morning, uh, we're actually going to be reading the entirety of the chapter and drawing our message from the entirety of the chapter. And I thought, man, what, what a great way to end 2015 and what a great way to begin 2016. Um, so let's, let, let's begin this chapter together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the things of the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of Him who raised dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might also be glorified with him. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation. But we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our eternal Father, pray that our first thoughts today would be of you. That our first impulse would be to worship you and our first speech would be your name. Father, may our first actions today be to submit ourselves to your word. We ask, Lord, for the assistance of your Spirit as we move forward looking in to this, your word that we've read today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like many people, once Christmas ends, we begin looking on towards 2016. And with the new year, obviously, as we mentioned earlier today, there comes New Year's resolutions. Uh, I know I typically have the same resolutions every year. Typically, it's along the lines of something like, well, I want to lose a little bit more weight because uh, I didn't lose it the year before. And uh, According to the Internet, I need to lose about 30 pounds to get back in my BMI. But I think I read the other day, as Abraham Lincoln said, you can't always trust the things you read on the Internet. 
But as I was thinking about New Year's resolutions earlier this week, I began to think, why is it that I always typically go to the same old resolutions about trying to better my appearance because I really know it's not about my health? Why do I always go back to those same things? And what might my year look like? I said, you know what? I'm not going to base my resolutions the way I've done in my past. But what if I base my New Year's resolutions for 2016 off of the Word of God? And so I thought about that, and I opened up the Bible to Romans chapter 8, because it's been argued that this is the greatest chapter, the greatest book that's ever been written. I said, what would Romans 8 say to me? This should be your resolution for 2016. So I came up with seven resolutions from Romans chapter 8. And my goal this morning is twofold. I have two goals for us this morning. One, one of my goals is, is I want you to look back at 2015, and I want you to look forward to 2016 through the lens of Scripture, that we don't let our culture set our goals for the new year, but rather we let the Word of God set our goals for the new year. My second goal is that, man, I just, I just want to give you a taste of Romans chapter 8. And, and I was thinking about it, I, I want it to be like my mom's rolls. And my family, we get together typically about once a month, and every now and again, especially around the holidays, my mom makes these rolls from scratch. It's like the dinner bell. You don't have to say when it's time to eat. It's like the aroma of these fresh-baked rolls flows out of the kitchen and draws us all into the table. And it, and, and it preludes the feast that we're about to eat. My hope in reading Romans 8 to you and, and briefly like flying through it in this sermon is that you will hear Romans 8 and you will get just this, these, these, these smells that are like, man, that's good. I need to go back to that. And I need to reread that. And, and, and I hope this sermon causes you to, to, to be drawn back to Romans 8 so that you might be able to feast yourself on this rich and satisfying passage. So let's go ahead and look into Romans 8 and find these different resolutions that Paul is challenging us for this coming year. Resolution number one is that we must be resolved to live in freedom from sin. Look at chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Paul is calling us to live in freedom from our sin. It doesn't take long when you're reading the Bible or especially the book of Romans around chapter 3 and chapter 7 for you to figure out that what the Bible does and what the law does is it passes condemnation on us. Like we, we can read the Bible, we can read the rules, and we quickly realize it is impossible for me 
to obey all the Bible is calling me to obey. And so we find ourselves, apart from Christ, guilty by the law. Paul in Romans chapter 7 describes it in this way, where we know the good that we ought to do. We, we ought to do this. We know we ought to do it, but we don't do it. And then on the other hand, we, we know the things that we shouldn't do that are bad, and, and we don't want to do those things. Those are the things that we do. And he says, what a, what a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this, from this sin and this body of death? And he gives us this great answer. He says, no, we have rescue. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that if we are in Christ, if Christ is our Lord, if he is our Savior, if we have repented and we have believed in him, then we have no condemnation. As you finish out 2015, as you go into 2016, you are going to make mistakes. You are going to sin. But Paul is saying, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Because your Lord, your Savior, has died for that sin. And you live in freedom from it. What this also does, according to Paul in Romans chapter 8, is not only do we get to live knowing that we are not condemned by our sin, but he also says that now that we have the Spirit living within us, we have the ability to say yes to God and no to sin. What this means is we have the ability to pursue holiness in our lives. How many of my resolutions as I look back over the, over the years have been, I want to be holier. This year, I want to look more like Jesus. Our resolve this year, going into the future, needs to be as I want to look more like Jesus in 2016 than I did back in 2015. It reminds me of Daniel in chapter 1 after Babylon came in and conquered uh, Judah and Jerusalem. The king of Babylon took a lot of the, the young, handsome, smart young men of the city of Judah and he took them back to Babylon. And he began to, to train them and began to woo them to their culture. He tried to woo them with with education and knowledge and positions. He tried to woo them with, with the best food from the king's table, with, with his best wines. Become one of us. Work for me. Serve my God. And then Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food or with the king's wine. He said, I'm not going to defile myself and become like the culture that I've been brought into. But I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be different. I'm going to serve my God. One of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is what do we need to resolve ourselves to abstain from? Saying this is something my culture is calling me to do. and I'm tempted by it. But it's something that I need to fight in order to maintain distance from it. I, I don't want to abandon my God for my culture. We need to live in freedom from our sin. This leads us to our next resolution, that we are to be resolved to set our mind on the things above. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8 say this, 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But those who are in the flesh, but those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We resolve to set our minds on the things that are above. One of the reasons that we do struggle with this flesh, with this sin that is in our lives, is because so often we set our minds to it. Think back to Daniel trying to resolve not to defile himself with the king's food and the king's wine. I can guarantee you if he had it, he would not be watching the Food Network day in and day out saying, oh, that looks so good. He wouldn't be waiting in his dormitory for the rest of everyone else to come back from the cafeteria and say, what did you eat today? What, what was the wine pairing? How, how well did it complement? That's not what Daniel was doing. What would he be tempting himself with the flesh to do that which he resolved not to do? So one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is in what ways do we feed our flesh? In what ways do we even tempt ourselves to do that which we don't want to do? Paul in Romans chapter 8 is saying that if we have the Spirit of God within us, then we need to not set our minds on the things that tempt our flesh, but rather we need to put our minds on the things of the Spirit. That's why we have a reading plan for you to start reading God's Word. That's why we encourage small groups so that you can be in a Christian community where, where people encourage you in your faith and speak God's Word to you. That's why churches put out so many resources like podcasts and sermons. That's why Chris writes music and puts it out. We need to fill our minds with the things of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit lives within us. So the serious word. Verse 7, For the mind that is on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We need to resolve to set our mind on the things of the Spirit, the things above leads us to our third resolution, that we need to resolve to appeal to the power of the Spirit of God. Verses 9 through 11, look at them with me. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that dwells in you. Did did you catch what Paul just said there? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the tomb, that breathed life 
back into the body is the same spirit and the same power that dwells in you. Whenever we think, Lord, I can't do it. It is too hard for me to say, no, you know what? You're absolutely right. In your flesh, you can't do it. But thanks be to God that you have a spirit in you given to you by the Father who has the power, indeed, has already defeated that sin. We need to make sure that as we are living this life and as we are faced with temptations, that we appeal to that spirit, that we pray in that spirit, Lord, help me fight. Give me strength. Give me victory. One of the ways that we pray is by actually praying his word. There's this great verse in Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul says this, and he's talking about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. What, what is the sword of the Spirit? It's, it's the word of God. Then he says in verse 18, what to do with that word. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer all supplication. Paul is saying that the Spirit's weapon in your life is the Word of God. And one of the things that you are supposed to do with that Word is you are supposed to praise that Word back to God. One of the problems with our prayers is sometimes we feel like we're saying the same old things about the same old things. We're like, what's the point? But what Paul is saying to do is he has given you a prayer book full of precious prayers that are not just prayers, but is a sword in the hand of the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We need to resolve ourselves to use that Spirit, and we need to appeal to that Spirit to remind us of our true identity, which leads us to our fourth resolution that we must be resolved to remind myself and ourselves of our true identity. The book of Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says that we have not been given the spirit of slavery. We have not been set free to sin in order to freely and willingly enslave ourselves to sin once again. But rather, we have been given freedom and we have been given a new identity. Identity as sons and daughters of God. An identity of heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Think of the generosity of God. 
that would say, what my son did, you also have a part of. What this challenge does is it reminds us that our identity is in being sons and daughters of God. And I feel like we need this word today because we are so often encouraged to find our identity in something other than that. We are told that we are to find our identity in our sexuality. We are told that we need to find our identity in the addictions that we have, in the habits that we have, in the jobs that we have. But the Spirit is reminding us through the Word of God that that is not who you are. Who you are is a dearly beloved son and daughter of God who died and bled on the cross for you was raised by the power of the Spirit. That's who we are. That's why we live in accordance with that. Which leads us to our next resolution. We need to be resolved to redirect our hope. Chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not hope that is seen. It's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul is saying that this suffering that we oftentimes face in this life doesn't compare with the coming glory of the kingdom of God. I don't know what your 2015 looks like. It might be that every hope and every expectation you had for this past year crashed and burned. It might be that your worst dream was realized. It might be that it was the best year of your life. You thought, man, my only gift is that this year is half as good as last. Rarely do I say that. To be honest, I don't know what your 2016 is looking like. You might have plans, but it very well might be that those plans are uprooted. That your worst fears are realized. You, you didn't know you were going to get this encouraging message from Amen today. But here's the good news. That whatever we have faced in the past, and whatever we will face in the future, no matter how bad, no matter how good, doesn't compare with the coming glory we have in Christ Jesus. And this is our hope. My question for you is, is that the hope you're living for? Or do you have other plans that have superseded that hope? 
you are hanging your happiness upon. Hopes of promotion, hopes of security, hopes of calm, hopes of relationships. Those things aren't strong enough to hold you. They'll let you down, but the one thing that will never disappoint, the one thing that will never let you down is the hope of the kingdom of God. Which leads us to our next resolution. That I should be resolved to live in prayerful thankfulness of all circumstances. Verses 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, he also glorified. Once again, in this passage, we have the Spirit present and active. This time, the present is the Spirit is present and interceding on our behalf. There will be those times in your life when things, the wheels just seem to fall off, and you are sitting there tearless because you've cried them all out already. We can know that those times when tears and words are not present, the Spirit is present, interceding on your behalf, praying God's prayers for you, that God's will would be done in your life. Really, isn't that the hope that we have? This this famous verse in verse uh, 28, and we know that all, for those that love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to the purpose. It's, man, that's so rich. Never, never treat that as some platitude. That's not some platitude that we just throw out every now and again. This, this is the hope and the promise that we have, especially when things are falling apart. This is the hope that we have whenever, whenever we're a parent and we look at our kids and how they're living their lives, and God, help them. Draw them back to yourself. We can know that if they are in Christ, and they belong to Christ, and they are His, that no matter what they're going through, God is going to work that for His good. God is going to work that somehow in, in their life, if they belong to Him, so that they become in the image of his son. That's the hope we have. The hope is having whenever we face that loss and that that catastrophic event in our lives that we can say, you know what? I don't get it and I don't understand it. But God said he is going to work it out for good. That's the hope we have. And if that's the hope we have, one of the things that we can do is we can always 
no matter what circumstance we are in, we can always give thanks. We can always give thanks because God is working things out for the good, for the coming of his kingdom. I think this leads us to our last resolution. I must be resolved to live life dangerously for the gospel. Verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Listen to this. This is what Jesus is doing. Who indeed is interceding for us. I just I want to stop there before I finish reading that text. Earlier in the chapter, the Spirit of God interceding for you. The verse I just read, it was Christ Jesus our Lord himself interceding for you. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You have a lot of God in your corner. He is for you. He is for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our Lord. There is no one to condemn us. There is nothing in this earth that can separate us from God who has justified us in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? It means we can live our lives in confidence and we can spend them on the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord. I think for some of you, might be a call to go into missions. So you know what? My heart has always been bent towards a people group, towards this part of the world. I think God is calling me to go there, to reach out and to spend my life on those people, to live dangerously for the gospel. For others of you, that call to live dangerously for the gospel might be to cross the street to meet that new neighbor that just moved in. To, to invite them over for dinner so they can see your house and hear your children and be a part of your life. And then build relationships and tell them about Jesus to a refuge. One of the things we need to do is make sure two thousand Spend our lives on this kingdom, on this God who loves us, 
promise nothing to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we do thank you for the promises that we've read this morning. Your beautiful words from your from your servant Paul. And Father, we we pray that as we do consider our lives and where we've been and where we are going, that what will mark our lives is is not our culture, not the things that our culture should say we should focus our lives on, but but our lives are marked by your word, that we'd be people of your word, filled with your spirit. Give us strength. We pray this.